Yes, hello and welcome to For and Against, where we take a look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's uh, Paul Roach with you here once again as we navigate some of the goings-on in the world of sport, and uh, I am joined on the panel by Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. G'day, Roachy. Right in the middle of the silly season, what a great time to be alive. Great, isn't it? And uh, continuing in his role as super sub while Riles is away soaking up that very silly season, Jono is sports and finance journalist Kevin Sangster. G'day to you, Kev. G'day, Roachy. G'day, Jono. Good to be back. And uh, don't forget, when Kev's not talking about sport, he's writing about it, and you can catch his work at places like the Inner Sanctum and Yahoo. However, coming up in the show, one sport makes the bold move and sets perhaps a dangerous precedent by writing an apparent wrong from 30 years previously. Also, ESG comes to sport, uh, some cross-code coaching action, and modern modern pentathlon, not tentathlon, pentathlon. Uh, some horsing around to be had there, John. Ah, boom, tish. Uh, of course, we'll be wrapping it up with red card, yellow card, one of our favourite segments where we uh, take the mick out of uh, sporting people who have done the wrong thing off the field of play. Feel free to use the hashtag RCYC if you come across a red card, yellow card. Get it? Speaking of hashtags and the socials, you can get us on Twitter at for and against underscore F-O-R-A-N-D against underscore. And on Insta, we're at four.and.against. And occasionally, I like trotting out the old Hotmail address we've got, Jono. Doesn't really get any love. Really hasn't, has it? Four and against at hotmail.com. Someone email. Mrs. Roach, come on. I can't believe it. Send, Maybe if I change it to Roach a, an email. What if I change it to a Gmail? You reckon that would have any effect? Definitely. Yeah, not going to try. Uh, all right, let's get into the show. Uh, many an Aussie sports fan of sufficient vintage will recall the controversy of then three-belt holder Jeff the Marrickville Mauler, Fennec, going toe-to-toe with Azuma Nelson in Las Vegas in 1991. Do you remember this happening, Giant? I do. Yeah, I've got very strong memories of it. Dominating the bout, only to have it call the draw for Mario. That is, no, Mario. Mario. <laughs> Mario the Falcon. Sorry, Jeff. Cousin. I think they're related, actually, aren't Are they? they? I think distantly. Jeff, of course, was dominating the bout, only to have it call the draw to much suspicion. Most learned judges, of boxing that is, thought uh, that Jeff was robbed, as did, of course, all of Australia. Well, the WBC very recently has made the decision to revisit that decision and indeed has officially declared the match in Fennec's favour some 30 or 31 years later, thus making him a champion in four weight divisions. John, I'm a bit conflicted about this one. History is history for mine. I mean, how far do you go to right wrongs? I think I'm also not helped by the suspicion that boxing is arguably one of the most corrupt sports out there. <laughs> and so this may, there may be more to this than what actually meets the eye. Yeah, Rochi, the uh, the genie could be out of the bottle, couldn't it? Um, I mean, I, I'm a little conflicted as well. I mean, I, I have that very strong memory of him fighting in Vegas. Don King was in the mm. back. I remember, you know, Jeff... The Aussie hero went across to the US. It was his big fight, as you say. He was a triple world champion at the time. You know, getting that fourth uh, world title in a different weight division would have taken him into absolute rarefied air Mm. at the time. Like three is phenomenal. Four was just ridiculous. Hall of Famer um, without a shadow of a doubt. And, yeah, I think one judge gave it to him by two. The other judge gave it to Nelson by two or three. And then the third judge calls it a draw. And because Nelson, Azuma Nelson, held the belt, uh, Jeff missed out on it. But, yeah, quite. when I saw this story, it was just a bizarre thing for boxing to do. I mean, Mm. you've got Don King, who was involved at the time, so I guess we all assume that it was fixed or Mm. it was corrupt or or something like that. But it it does tend to set a a dangerous precedent. and, and you know where do you where do you draw the line? There's a whole Correct. bunch of other potential fights. Do you go back and look at those and, and come out with something else? I, I just don't know. Do you go back and look at every fight? For example, it's 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 potential thin end of the wedge kind of stuff, isn't it? And look, not that um, sport A has um, you know any sort of authority over sport B, but 
do other sports start looking at doing that? You know? Yeah. And I mean, you look at different types of sports, it's very subjective, you know, boxing um, and scoring. To what extent, you know, who were the referees that looked at it 30 years later and decided to, to award it? You know, uh, it is a difficult one for them to do it. But yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Can you look at other sports? You know, Maradona's. Hand of God goal. I'm sure Kev's got very strong views about that <laughs> against England in the the '86 World Cup. So, what do we do? Do we re- retrospectively, yeah, do we strip Argentina of the win against England in the quarterfinal? And and what do we do? Do we award the tournament to well, West Germany? Let's I mean, they don't even exist anymore. Let's let's find out from the man himself, Kev. This is well, you know, whether or not boxing is your thing. Uh, obviously, the hand of God is the obvious other one to come to, isn't it? It is. Just just on the boxing, I'm going to. I'm going to appall you now by saying I don't remember that Fennec fight at all. Um, and I've just been working it out like 30 years ago. I would have been in a pub in a university, probably ducking out a lesson. No, you're excused. And, um, I, yeah, I don't remember it at all. But it does sound like a crazy idea 30 years ago, seriously. And, and boxing, if Don King was involved, it was almost certainly corrupt anyway. So, I mean, any, he was, he's been in it for about 30 years. You might as well just rewrite the whole of the last 30 years, practically. But um, but that's my view on the boxing thing. I don't have a, a massive view on it. But yeah, hand of God. I mean, the only problem with that is there'd probably be a major diplomatic incident if you, if you decided to change the result of that. Or another Falklands um, War. We could start. Um, so uh, probably best not to revisit that, even though it still pains me to this day. But um, but yeah, crazy idea. Well, it's in the books. It's in the books, right? Liz, I've got a couple of other examples where you could arguably go back and revisit history, but can anyone think of another instance where a sport has already done this, has already gone, actually, no, some, some wrong happened? Oh, Kev, he's, he's chiming in. Go on. Well, I knew you were going to bring this up, so I did a bit of research, right? And Good one of the you. few other sports that I do know a bit about is AFL. Um, now, I vaguely remember this happening, actually, because I was in Australia, um, but 2006... In Launceston, Tasmania, the uh, I, now let me get this right. I think it was Frio and uh, St Kilda were playing a game. St Kilda were a point behind. The siren went, but the umpires didn't hear it. Oh, yeah. They kicked a goal ten seconds later, and four days later, the AFL changed the result. Mm, that's good. Good call, actually. That is ringing bells. Yeah, because the, the crowd noise combined with the St Kilda. So. Yeah, right. Okay, good pick up. Jono, can you think of an instance? I can't remember anything on the field of play. I mean, the one that springs to mind is, I guess, where you have premierships stripped of clubs, which mm. is a different thing, isn't it? The Melbourne Storm for their drug issues. Oh, sorry, for their salary cap salary issues. Cap. But yeah, you, yeah, Rachi? It's not. It's not a. It's, it's not. A, it's not a wrong that's been corrected to what is right. That's punishment for something that's done yeah, wrong, though. Isn't no it? different. Look, I mean, I was racking my brain, and I, I'm, I had this image, mental image of a of a Formula One driver being awarded a trophy at a sort of an otherwise vacant track some weeks or potentially even months after the relevant event. But I could not for the life of me find find what that was. I thought it might have been Jano Trulli or John Lacey and uh, there's only so much Google searching you can do before you go. Maybe it didn't really happen. So no, in short, I, I, can't, I couldn't think of one. But if, there's certainly other ones, of course, you could suggest were clearly incidents that they could go back and... Uh, and check and and look. It's, it's ironic that the other couple I've got are also football. So there's the, not only the hand of God, but of course the hand of Frog. Remember Thierry Henry uh, oh, yeah. in the qualifier against Ireland in 2009, trying to get into South Africa. I think it was actually the final game. Whoever basically whoever won it was going through to the World Cup. And Thierry Henry basically he didn't score the goal, but he manhandled it across to the the person that did score the goal. 
Uh, Cave, have I got my facts right there? Do you recall? I think um, the Hand of Frog was quite notorious and Ireland blew up about it. I do I do remember the Irish bleating about it quite heavily at the time. <laughs> um, but, um, Not a lot of sympathy there from the POM. <laughs> well, the other one is um, Jeff Hurst's winning goal in the 1966 World Cup. Did that actually cross the line, Cave? Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> We've always been fans of Russian linesmen, but that's probably not politically correct anymore. So uh, <laughs> maybe that's a good one to, to receive. Lucas Neal versus Italy, two thousand and six. Do you? Yeah, we should. Uh, do you take that I'd one love back to, have to that the one back? Yeah. VAI. Is that really a penalty? Good call. Exactly. Well, I think that one could have been. Mate, I, I just put in there. That was a clear penalty. Ah. <laughs> Who invited Kevin? Yeah, it was. <laughs> Just beat me to it. it well, I remember it vividly. You don't dive in on a, an Italian in the box in the 90th minute and expect not to, him to go down. It's just naive. No, well, hang on. That's you're, What you're saying right. is you should have expected that events would have transpired such that it was a penalty, but whether or not it was actually a penalty under the rules is another argument, another discussion, which perhaps... But he touched him. Yeah. And yeah. Go down. Anyway, so. hey, listen, you're unpicking some really old wounds here, Kev. So, shush. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's you, time. I'm the god. I think it's, yeah, true, true. I think it's time to move on. And uh, good luck with boxing. I'll be interested to see whether that's the thin end of the wedge. Our friends at uh, at Sports Pro, in conjunction with Laureus, 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 I think it is, have released their second ever Sport for Good Index. Now, the Sport for Good Index recognises brands that use sport to drive social change, brands that are leading the way in delivering positive social or ecological impact through sport, making a significant contribution across the United Nations, 17, count them, 17, sustainable development goals. Allowed me to go on, Jono. Determined, this list, determined by an independently adjudicated judging process, which in turn is overseen by a panel of industry experts... The purpose of the index is to shine a light on those organisations that are having the clearest and most meaningful impact while providing compelling evidence for the role that sport can play in driving sustainable change. I mean, what a crock. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't say that. I mean, ESG is all the rage in our professional lives, Richie, and in a lot of people's professional lives. It's a very important thing these days, but Mm. it does reek of box ticking, Mm. doesn't it? It Mm. really is. I mean, you look at some of the organizations that are uh, shortlisted, some pretty, you know, impressive organizations, Adidas, ASICS, Dick's Sporting Goods, Mm -hmm. Foot Locker, Nike, in technology, Google, Microsoft, SAP. It's um, Patagonia gets a run, don't they? They're quite overtly ESG kind of organization. But I'm just not sure about it. Uh, You're not? Really? Not sure, yeah. I wonder why. Kev, uh, look, I'm not sure if you've seen the same article, but uh, you know, even in your finance work, I mean, John had just said ESG is all a rage. I mean, I think ESG investing is very much here to stay. I think it's been around long enough that we can't just dismiss it as all the rage. But um, do you see the collision of ESG and sport having any relevance whatsoever? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's good that they're, they're making the effort. I, I, but I have to say, I was looking at the same names that John has just read out. Um, and uh, you know, if you're talking finance... You've got to ask whether some of these some of these organisations are paying tax in the com- countries they operate in. You know, um, I know that's slightly different, but they're, they're not exactly whiter than white. These companies, uh, in a lot of ways, so I tend to agree with Jono. I think it's a little bit of uh, box ticking and it's a marketing tool. Yeah, I think that's uh, you hit the nail on the head there. It's a marketing tool. The uh, the Sports Pro commercial director said that sport has the power to change the world. 
and brands hold much of that power, which I think is true in and of itself, but it's an interesting sort of I don't know, almost admission yeah. that sport is sort of a, a vehicle for these brands to, uh, to promote their wares, which we know, but it's interesting. To, someone said the quite a bit out loud, I think. The old sports washing issue. Yeah, a little bit, mixed with greenwashing. I think it's much more from a marketing point of view, and uh, I actually, outside of journalism, I still do a little bit of marketing. It's actually much more powerful coming from the individual than a corporation. So so what, what Patty Cummins did regarding Alinta Energy, what the netballers did, uh, what the Iranians did at the World Cup, when it's individual sports people, it's a lot more powerful than the actual brands. I, th- I don't think people trust brands anyway. <laughs> yeah, fair call. That's fair just call. my opinion. It's a good one. Brands featured in the index, and I'm, I, I won't read this whole paragraph because I'll fall asleep during it. They were assessed according to a set of seven key criteria, including impact through sports-related corporate social responsibility and ESG, which we've mentioned, da, 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 level of investment in sport for good causes, and etc. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm bored already reading that paragraph, <clears throat> but I did like I did like this just to finish up on. So they were going. The organisers were going one step further, showing how those brands create and implement their sports sustainable strategy, drawing on best practice and lessons learned by brands leading the way. The aim is to inspire and accelerate action from other brands and sports stakeholders to get this, implement their own triple bottom line strategies. Wow. I reckon. There's some good marketing speak in there, oh, isn't there? How good's that? That's brilliant. I have no clue what a triple bottom line strategy is, but um, Kev, you don't indulge in such uh, ridiculous language in your journalism career, I trust? Uh, I try and stay away from it where I can. Uh, I could give you a definition of triple bottom marketing, but I won't because it, it'll send me to sleep as well as you. <clears throat> Fair enough. Well, look, an interesting little insight into where greenwashing and sports washing collide. On to the shootout where we cover a few topics in a slightly shorter fashion. Look, we've just got a couple at this particular show, but there's a bit in it. Uh, first of all, cross-code coaching. So as painful as it was to be there to see the not-so-mighty Swannies on the day get trounced by Geelong in the most recent last Saturday in September, at least I can say I saw champion Joel Selwood's last hit out. It was an impressive game from the team and from him and, uh, and you know, impressive character and Ornament to the game, as they say. Now, of course, he retired from the game shortly thereafter. And the question was, where to now for Joel? Well, the answer is now, curiously, the Melbourne Storm, their new quote-unquote leadership coach. Now, Storm GM of football Frank Panisi uh, said Selwood's role will involve mentoring Storm's current leaders and emerging leaders while also supporting the club's next captain or captains who are yet to be appointed. Interesting one, this one, uh, Jono, a bit of cross-code action. You don't see a lot of it. You do, wanna... Yeah, you see a little bit you of do it. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, the interesting thing for me on Selwood, before we look at some other examples, mm-hmm. is this leadership point and the fact that, you know, those leadership, leadership skills are translatable across different codes. And I think the Storm themselves are renowned for having a fantastic culture and for having great leadership. You know, led by Craig Bellamy, they've always had a great leadership group there and no doubt Selwood will do a really good job there. I think it's a good choice for him. The obvious choice would be to take an assistant coaching role or some kind of role at an AFL club, but Mm. this will probably expand his CV a little bit more. But, yeah, look, there, there are some examples over the years. Do you remember uh, Johnny Muggleton? So former mm-hmm. rugby league Paramount Eels fan from yeah, many years ago. Second so he, row, maybe. Yeah, that's right. So he became assistant Wallabies coach under Rod McQueen back in the 90s. And, mm. you know, he kind of revolutionised uh, defence in, rug, in rugby union. So he was an example that kind of blazed the trail, went from league to union. 
Alan Jones, uh, the infamous Alan Jones, he went from the Wallabies to the Bellman Tigers mm. um, back in 91, 93, and then currently Michael Checker, who is you know undertaking two jobs at the same time. He's leading the Argentinian rugby team, but also coached the, the Lebanon World Lebanese. Cup rugby team. I think it's telling that, of the, that each of those examples is league to union. Indeed. And anyone outside New South Wales and Queensland would argue those, those, those are the it's same It's just the thing. same, yeah. <laughs> Which does make the Selwood thing all the more interesting, doesn't it? It's a bit more interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Kev, just to put you on the spot, is, are you aware of any cross-code kind of coaching movement beyond, say, the, the obvious rugby union, rugby league movement? Yeah, there is one. Uh, do you remember a guy called Clive Woodward? He coached the uh, the England team to uh, to victory in the Rugby World Cup over here, actually, funnily enough. Why did I? Um, you may remember that. <laughs> I but, was there. John, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so was I, funnily enough. But um, he actually ended up going to coach at Southampton in the Premier League. Oh. Although he wasn't brought in as a coach, he was brought in as a technical director. And bizarrely, it only lasted a year because the manager at the time was Harry Redknapp who, for those who don't know him, is is a bit of a cockney geezer, very old-school football manager who was probably having none of this rugby guy coming in and telling him what to do. So I don't think it went very well, unfortunately. But um, but regarding Selwood, I actually think it's a great move. I've got a lot of respect for Joel Selwood, and I think he can teach people about leadership because what he's done at Geelong for 10 years has been astounding. Mm. And so I think it's a great move for Melbourne as long as they keep him out of the sort of day-to-day stuff and just focus on the, I suppose, the psychological side of things, I think that's a great move. Seems to be his role. If we're talking cross-code, Rochi, it'd be remiss not to mention Ted Lasso. You'd be a massive fan of that show, Rochi. Oh, no. No? Uh, Kev, <laughs> you ever heard of Ted Lasso? Surely Kev has. Most of I have, yeah. yeah. So he, uh, Rochi, it's straight over your head because you don't believe in uh, you know paying subscriptions for proper TV or anything like that. No. But this is an Apple series. Oh. So it's a US college football coach who suddenly coaches a soon-to-be Premier League team. Is this a documentary or a, no, or a comedy or it's something? A comedy, right? Great show. So this Fantastic. is this is how infrequent the occurrence of actual real-life cross-code coaching is. You've got to <laughs> you've got to reach for a, a made-up yeah. TV show. But listen, I, I did I did think of one more baseball and the cricket. So do you remember the Aussies had a baseball an American baseball coach as their fielding coach about a decade ago? It was under Buchanan. So I had to do a little bit of research to see if my memory is correct so yeah the aussie cricket team had a us baseball coach for fielding as i say in the late noughties a guy called mike young who was a former minor league baseball uh, manager in the us he was made australia's fielding coach when john buchanan was kicking around and uh yeah he he um supposedly improved the australian fielding capability and you know let's sliding in to get the ball and all that sort of jazz yeah. so you know it's a bit of a stretch but um definitely cross code there oh anyway interesting topic we'll see how joel goes over the the next little while down there at the Storm. And our other item in uh, in the shootout is Modern Pentathlon. That's right, you heard right, Modern Pentathlon. Had I asked you two, Kev and Jono, before we decided we had to talk about Modern Pentathlon in the show, how many of the five disciplines would you have got? Kev, what do you reckon? Uh, two, yeah, maybe. Okay. Jono? Uh, fencing's in it, I think. <laughs> running. I think I would have got confused because I would have thought you were talking about the Winter Olympics. <laughs> I would have... Talked about shooting, and, yeah, the biathlon. But, <laughs> well, yeah. well, shooting's in it though, isn't it? Isn't is shooting it? in pentathlon? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, I mean, I would have got the shooting and something to do with horses. Then I probably would have kicked myself for not getting swimming or running, which you know, I should have got that. And yes, fencing. Now, if you're old enough to remember, and you're an Aussie, Kev, so I realise you didn't remember Azuma Nelson for obvious reasons. If you're old enough, you'll remember Alex Watson. 
giant package memory. Cappuccino kid. Dub the Cappuccino kid for being punted during the Seoul Olympics 1988 for too much caffeine in his system. Well, funnily enough, so sorry, just to go back up a step, modern pentathlon is is under siege. Um, because, under siege? Yes, yeah, under siege. Uh, it, it, there's a schism because they're trying to make it even more modern by getting the horses out, right? The whole RSPCA kind of thing. Sorry, not that it's been driven by that organisation, just to be clear, but the you know cruelty to animals kind of angle. So um, in a desperate bid to maintain the relevance of modern pentathlon, there is a part of the crew there who are trying to rid the sport of the horses element and replace it with sort of an, basically an obstacle thing, like a ninja warrior I'm, I'm reading, Jono, as we've just explored. I don't really watch TV sure. unless there's sport involved. So uh, an, an obstacle ninja warrior kind of action, yeah, but you know. Did you see how this came up? I mean, I, I saw this article as well, and it, and it wasn't just – it's not just a general protest vote against cruelty to horses. There was a specific incident. Did you oh, hear about that? No, no. So the Tokyo 2020 Games. Are we okay talking about this on a family show, John? Oh, look, I think we have to. Okay. It's, it's a fact. The German team coach, Kim Reisner, was shown punching a horse oh, yeah, at the okay. Tokyo 2020 Games. So ever since that, the sport has been you know, trying to fight for its place in the, uh, yeah, in the games. Not, not a good look. I remember that. Well, funnily enough, Alex Watson is, is now the good guy. Oh. He's trying to fight off this Ninja Warrior crowd who obviously stand to benefit if the Olympics swap out show jumping for obstacle racing. So hence Watson, Alex Watson, uh, is now trying to fight that. So, I mean, Kev, you know, as a sort of a third-party observer, what do you what do you make of this soap opera? How do you how do you see this one playing out? And and do you care? Well, probably not. Um, but <laughs> um, but it is quite bizarre um, that they're getting rid of horses. I, mean, like, I can sort of see the whole angle of animal rights and, and things like that. But I mean. How far do you go? I mean, do you take the sword out of fencing? Um, you know, it's, um, it's, I don't know. I just think it's going a bit too far. And good on the cappuccino kids, another person I've never heard of until this show. So thanks for that. It's been quite educational um, for you, Kev. It has, yeah. I've learned a lot. So uh, good on him for standing up for, you know, the tradition. I don't, you know, nobody's condoning hitting horses right? and they should be banned for life period but i think if you look after the horses and i don't think a little bit of jumping over a fence is gonna make it's not like it's the grand national where, where mm. or melbourne cup where horses die and um, they're pretty well looked after so it just seems a little bit over the top to me Jono, um kev's opened my mind to a whole new uh, audience we should be appealing to out there mm. the uh, you know the expat non non-aussie who wants to brush up on their aussie sports history that's right yeah, it's a, a new market for it's us more educational than yeah. i realized well, um, there we go. We'll see how that pans out. Um, perhaps next Olympics, we might be watching obstacle racing rather than show jumping. And finally, we have red card, yellow card, where we enjoy poking fun at sporting types who have, um, yeah, look, have done the wrong thing, frankly, off, off the field of play. Uh, Jono, what have you got for us? Richie, you're going to be proud of me today. I'm, I'm not going golf. Always proud of you, Jono. Always I hope so, Richie. I try to live up to your very, very lofty expectations. But um, my nomination comes from the world of Formula One. Oh, a legend. Tell me more. Well, I don't know if you've heard of it. Actually, Han, you're about to bag out Formula One, aren't you? No. No, well, like yeah, just wait for it. Go so on. at the recent Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, 
There were a number of events and special commemoration activities for retired legendary driver Sebastian, Sebastian Vettel. 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 Mm-hmm. Vettel. Um, uh, seems he was pretty well liked, Roachie. Is that uh, a fair call? Or? Uh, look, I'm not too sure about that. Not too sure about that? Anyway. That's I'll a, never forgive him for what he did to Mark Webber when they were teammates. Uh, Multi-21, okay. Seb. Multi-21. There you go. Anyway. Anyway, it turns out that the drivers arranged a ritzy farewell dinner for Seb. I'm not sure if you saw this, but... No. Um, Looked like a sensational night out. All 20 drivers really? showed up. Yep. There were photos of the evening widely circulated on social media. There was even a copy of the restaurant tab, the bill for the night. <laughs> now, the bill. You weren't here for the show. We did a couple of shows ago on I the NFL. I listened to it, though. Yeah, this is the NFL this rookie lunch, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Go on. So, how, firstly, how much do you reckon the bill was? Okay, right. So 20, 20 drivers. 20 Just drivers. the 20 drivers? In Abu Dhabi. Only yep. the 20 drivers? Only the drivers. In Abu Dhabi. Yep. So they've found some pretty fancy it's, Michelin 10-star restaurant. It's in pounds. I'll give you a hint. In pounds. Yep. Is it is it five figures or does it go bigger than that? Oh, it's bigger than that. Wow. Six figures in pounds? 115,000 pounds, Ooh. allegedly. So, and who do you reckon, how do you reckon they paid for it? Like, how do you, sort of, <laughs> when that bill goes around... <laughs> So I know Richie, what do you mean no split bills? I know, Richie, I mean, you get a little bit feisty sometimes about tipping and the like. I don't, I don't like to dredge up any personal matters. But but I do, yeah. So uh, who do you reckon covered it? or? How did oh, it okay, how did you, right, okay. Um, Kev, have you got any thoughts on this? How do you see this one playing? Because I, I I'm buying some think time here. I want to think this through. How do you, how do you see this one being settled? Surely they'd just get one of the sponsors to come in, wouldn't you? Just put it on the, put it on the tap, mate. Okay. Um, but... Uh, I don't know. I don't. I've never seen a credit card with a hundred thousand uh, dollars limit. So uh, maybe you have. Do they? Did they? Did they prorate it based on driver's salary, perhaps? Well, kind of. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was actually paid for by one individual, Lewis, Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton yeah. Yeah. So Lewis did the right thing. He apparently picked up the tab. So in all of this story, who gets the nomination? You ask. <laughs> well, it's a guy I've never heard of. This guy, Alex Albon. Oh yeah, Albon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So driver. So he gets the card and. He gets it for ruining what could have been such a cool story. So mm. I reckon this story is 100% legit. But he's apparently come out and said that the bills circulating on social media was a fake. Oh, no. And that the dinner was a fair bit cheaper than that. He hasn't said how much it was. Although Alex did confirm that Lewis did pick up the tab. And this is uh, the quote from Alex. What a load of rubbish, she said before adding, we're normal people. We're not here expecting caviar on our plate and gold spoons. We had a set menu. There were a lot of people with dietary requirements. Like, obviously, Lewis Hamilton is vegan. Lewis covered the bill. Very nice of him. He He organized it as well. Very nice of him. I reckon that's crap. And I reckon it was 115k, and they're just covering for Lewis. And by the way, we had a, it's three cases of you know 1873 yes. <laughs> Roth, Rothschilds, Shadenoff de Pop. Anyway, fantastic. No, it's it's a yellow card for Alex Albon. I think so. For yeah. ruining a good story. Yeah, fair call. Kev, what's your nomination? Uh, I'm going to go with. Uh, the board of Fulham Football Club, who in their infinite wisdom, only as recently as September, announced a partnership with a, a random financial company called Titan Capital Markets. And then it turned out that literally a few weeks later, they were being reported by um, or investigated by the Australian authorities regarding issues on its license. And six weeks later, they had to get rid of them. They, uh, they decided that that sponsorship didn't fit with the the profile, and I, I was just sat there reading it, thinking, "Who is doing the due diligence mm. on these sponsors?" I mm. mean, well, it goes back to sports brands and ethics, but what that guy 
in West London is doing, just sat there going, oh, yeah, well, you can sponsor us. I just wonder what the hell's going on. It's, uh, it was just, it's just bizarre. I mean, six weeks it lasted. So a uh, little bit embarrassing for Fulham. Uh, and I'm, I'm going yellow card for the guy who sat in the due diligence box who probably uh, is enjoying sponsors' uh, hospitality a little bit too much. Yeah, certainly a lack of due diligence has given us plenty of content over the years, it's got to be said, Kev. And, um, of course, when a sports organisation or a sports club sees money, they're less concerned with where it's coming from if they uh, if they need the cash. And it's a game of it's powered by money, isn't it? Where do I sign? Yellow card, fair enough. So, um, look, we all know the cost of living pressures are going sky high these days and nowhere more so than in the field, pun intended, of streaking. Now, uh, I'm old enough to remember, just, a time when a a trip over the fence at your favourite international cricket ground might lighten you a a few hundred bucks. They then decided to get tough on streaking and the going rate jumped, and I'm thinking possibly back in the early 90s when interest rates were high and, you know, recession followed, and no coincidence there, to around about 5k. And then I think it went up to 5.5k when GST came in. Well, now the MCG at least has taken revenue raising, or sorry, deterrence, to a whole new level with the cost now, get this, five figures. And what I love about this, it's and this is based on a screenshot of at the recent one-day series that we actually talked about in the previous show, I think, uh, that it, which is kind of ironic. There's only 10,000 people in a 100,000-seat stadium. But it's obviously based on a, some sort of calculation or algorithm. It's not just a nice round number. The new fine for jumping the fence is $11,095.20. And 20 cents. And 20 cents. And 20 cents, wow. exactly. Pass the plate around. Now, I don't know if the price of an unauthorised visit to you know your hallowed turf is included in the ABS's basket of goods used to calculate the CPI, but if it isn't, it should be, because it's clearly contributing to the economic troubles the country is facing. It's quite prescriptive. It is, isn't it? So I'm going to go, look, I think it's only yellow, but yellow to the MCG for, for hiking, for for doing their, their, their worst for the cost of living pressures that us battling Aussies are feeling. In case you were thinking of running onto the field. Yeah, and this is also a community service announcement to let you know that it's actually now 11K rather than yep. 5. So there you go. Bit of a soft yellow card for the MCG. <laughs> yellow card, I agree. Mm, mm. Well, with um, red card, yellow card behind us, uh, it leaves us with a simple task of, uh, to say farewell. So goodbye, Kev Sangster. Thanks for having us once more. I think it might be back to the subs bench, but I'm sure we'll have you back one day. <laughs> I'll tell you that as a compliment back, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Just rotating some personal issues here, Kev. Don't be offended. Uh, we do sincerely thank you for your contribution this show and last show. Jono, goodbye to you, my friend. See you, Rochi. See you at the Christmas party, possibly. Oh, yeah. Well, I think the idea is next next show we'll record it and then go straight to the Christmas party. A warm-up show before yeah, the Christmas party. Yeah, it's kind of how we do it, isn't it? Yeah, let's do you it. You need to get that shortlist to us of where yep. we're going to go. We're going to go somewhere good. Looking forward to it. I'll do the uh, I'm not shouting like Lewis Hamilton. No, no, Sorry. fair enough. No, And I'm not tipping like I usually don't. <laughs> uh, and so until next show, it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Don't forget, you can get us on the socials on Twitter at foreignagainst underscore and on Instagram, for, dot, and, dot, against. But yes, we will reconvene again in about a fortnight's time. Until then, it's bye for now.